You never get shut down all the discussion before time for worship service or anything like that because I always wanted to talk. We had one young man in class that uh, about as tall as I am and just skinny as he could be and rather frail looking, but he had zeal for God and wanted to preach. And I think they encourage them to preach at every opportunity that they have, whole meetings and all this kind of thing, and he was thrilled to death. He got a gospel meeting in Arkansas in a little old rural community up in the mountains or hills, and he was really looking forward to it. So during the summer, he got there and got to preaching that. And back then, you know, your gospel meetings always were going on for a full week. Well, he preached and got to the last night, and he hadn't had a single visible response. Very disappointed because he was ready to turn the world upside down for Christ, you know. And he got to that very last time and gave his very best sermon. He looks up when he offered the invitation, and coming down the aisle was a response. In his words, this was a very, very large person. Just happened to be a woman. But anyway, she was very emotional, and he was very emotional too. And after the emotional taking of her confession and everything, well, they decided to have the baptism. And this little rural church was like many of the rural churches at that time. Still are, in fact. The baptistry is a little shed that's built on the back of the building, you know, and most of the time it's unfinished or anything, and you just have a curtain or a partition to separate it from the auditorium. So as he is preparing for the baptism, he got to thinking, I'm a little old skinny guy, and this is a very large person. I don't know how I'm going to get him up out of the baptistry. So with that on his mind, you know, they got down in the baptistry and... Uh, he planted his feet just right, and he got set just right, you know. And after he immersed a lady, well, he lifted up with all his might, and I'm sure she was concerned about the same kind of thing. And so with all of her might, she helped him, and he popped up out of that water and hit one of the exposed rafters and went limp. And he thought that he had baptized and killed her all at the same time. And he just thought he had problems before, he really had problems then holding her up out of the water. Took two or three people to get down in there. I'm already talking about you, Curly. You got here too late. But anyway, he thought that that was what happened. And it took two or three men to get in there with him to hold the lady up. I'm sure in preaching school they prepare you for all those kinds of things. I think that it gave new meaning into that, what is it, slain in the Spirit or slain by the Spirit? Maybe, I don't know. But that's the preaching school. <clears throat> Speaking of offering the invitations, the invitation is extended at all times. There's always a good time to accept the invitation, ask for prayer, or anything along that nature. So know that I probably won't do it when I get to the end of this, but there's another appropriate time for it. And that 595 is the one we're going to sing, one verse only. That's kind of like life. Sometimes you only get one verse. So that's a reminder to you about that. In talking with you today, it's not going to be any kind of a message on just salvation or anything like that particularly. It's more something on exhortation. As I started preparing for this, I decided I'm the one that's needing the exhortation. So I'm going to talk to myself tonight. If you just happen to get anything out of it, that's great. That would be just wonderful. Uh, I get a lot of exhortation. Uh, my first wife of 57 years is good at exhorting me on a daily basis and encouraging me and I don't know how many times in our married life that I've heard her say something like this, remember you're a Christian, or remember you're a preacher, or 
remember something like that, and I'm sure all of you have had reminders of this often. So we're going to just have a little bit of an exhortation, you might say, today. It's good to be with you. It's just good to be, isn't it? It's good. It's great to be. It's great to be a child of God. Therein lies our hope, isn't it? That we're called children of God. You can't get any better than that, being a family of God. That's just a wonderful kind of a thing. When James called and asked me to talk for two hours, Judy said, what are you going to talk about? She knows I never talk over five minutes at a time anyway. And I popped off and I said, the indwelling. And she said, well, that's good. I really want to hear about that. Well, I misspoke. I just hadn't really thought it all over too much. And after thinking about it, I thought a better title of what I was going to say tonight would be The Dwelling Place. And I'd already decided that was going to be the title of my next book. And she shot me down on that one. She said, there's already a book named The Dwelling Place. And, uh, in fact, we have a copy of it. It's about an English author. And we have one of them in there. But I'm probably going to call it that anyway, because I think that sounds much better than uh, house cleaning. When James uh, asked me to get up here and speak, he said the theme of the summer series was My God and I. And I, like all of you, I'm sure, immediately thought of the song, My God and I. And I thought, that, that's a pretty good kind of a deal. My God and I go in the field together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands. Our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadow's hue. We clasp our hands. Our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadow's hue. Or maybe you thought about 599. The song that says, My Savior daily walks with me because I trust His love. And all that's best, His hand I see, it points to heaven above. I will follow Him through shadows or in the sunshine bright. And on we walk together, lead my steps aright. I thought that's a pretty good kind of a deal. That's what we do, isn't it? We have our walk with God, and we walk with God. And we not only walk with God, we walk with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. All of them within us, the dwelling place. That's what we manifest to the world, isn't it? That's what we should show to the world. If you want to turn to John 14, we're going to read a few scriptures there. I think John 14 is in my book. John 14, uh, verses 23 through 27, just about. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come into him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. And also in Revelation, if you want to turn there, I'm not going to bother. Chapter 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know, I told you I was going to do this as an exhortation for me. And as someone said, a giant step in our walk of faith, talking about walking with God, is the one we take when we realize that God is no longer just a part of our life. He is our life. And when we realize that, that's what Colossians 3 and 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. 
You know, you can't walk with God, you can't be with God, unless God is with you and in you, and you manifest this to the world. Our dwelling place, the home of God on earth. You know, when others see us, are they reminded of God? Don't you think that they should be reminded of God? If the dwelling place for these are all in us, that should certainly be something we manifest to the world. And what kind of home do we provide for these that are in us, that are dwelling within us? I know that just asking such a question immediately brings to your mind examples of people that just being around them reminds you of God. I know I can think of many that do this. I don't know about you, but the thought that I might not remind somebody of God sobers me considerably. I was putting fuel in my vehicle the other day. I noticed a young couple that were passing by. And as they were walking, they had their arms around one another, you know, and they were looking at one another and they were laughing and grinning and having a good time, you know. And it uh, was, was very evident that they were happy together that they wanted to be together. And they were so in sync that as they crossed my vehicle in front, I could only see one person. You know, those of you that are married, have been married or dating or anything, you know what that's like. That's a bit of heaven, isn't it? When you're so in sync with the one that you love, it's that way. That's the way our walk with God should be, isn't it? Our walk with God should be that such when people see us, they see God, and they see a person that has God in them, and they want God in them, and God is happy to be in them. And it's a happy relationship. It's a harmonious relationship, isn't it? I think that's the way it should be with our dwelling place. Hand in hand, we walk each day. Hand in hand along the way. Hand in hand with Jesus. When you get up in the morning, is one of your first thoughts... To grab the hand of Jesus and let Him lead you through the day. Romans 8, 8 through 11 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Do you see all those dwellings? Almost every verse had something about the dwelling, didn't it? About God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And particularly as you go into the 14th chapter of John, it talks about Jesus being in God and God being in Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us forever. That's a wonderful kind of a thought, isn't it? Are we making all those that are dwelling in us comfortable? Is it an inviting, nourishing, harmonious, comfortable, loving relationship that we have for this indwelling of these within us? You know, we've all been to homes that all was not well. And maybe there was some kind of real problems uh, between the individuals in the home. And when we're in such a situation, we're very uncomfortable, aren't we? Do you suppose that uh, God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, feel uncomfortable when our same kind of relationship is that way? When things are not really good, 
an atmosphere such as this. A few days ago, I conducted a funeral for a friend and a brother in Christ who took his life. This individual, when we would have Bible studies or in worship service on or anything, he was probably the most eager to learn, the most enthusiastic, and the most vocal of anybody. All was not well within that relationship, was it? A very, very sad kind of a situation. When homes are filled with backbiting, sarcasm, hatred, unforgiveness, lustful thoughts, and so on, do you think God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit just really feel comfortable and welcome when that's the kind of atmosphere they have to be in? I don't know. As a real estate broker and appraiser, I see homes of all kinds and all degrees of cleanliness and filthiness. I see a lot of them that no one would want to live there. A house that I listed a few months ago, I went to look at the house, and it was a rental house. And in one of the rooms particularly, there was so much dog hair, you couldn't even tell there was a carpet on the floor. Evidently, that room had been used strictly for a home for the dogs that they had. I sent a cleaning lady over there, and, and she showed me after she got through. She gathered up enough hair to make several dogs out of, from that one room. I, a hair of the dog. That's a drink, isn't it, James? Isn't that what you said the other day? But in, anyway, it was a filthy kind of a thing, and I'm not so sure that uh, anybody would want to be in such a place as this. Another house I went to for a possible listing, this happened a few years back. I happened to be wearing a pair of tan Levi's. And I walked in the room, the first room that I went into, in fact, and I looked down and my pants were literally covered with fleas. It didn't get any better through the rest of the house either. And no, <clears throat> I'm afraid that particular day I did not say with Corey Tin Boom, thank God for the fleas. But how many times in our lives do we let the joy stealers, the fleas, the dog hair, if you would, we let these little things in life steal the joy from us and the peace from us that we should be getting, making it more uncomfortable for those that dwell within us. James also asked that we talk a little bit about a walk of faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. After graduation from Tech, my bachelor's degree, I just knew that uh, people were just going to be lined up to offer me this very lucrative position, you know, that I'd been looking forward to. And uh, I had time to look for this. I'd been working in research for a couple of years at that point in time. And so now that I had a degree, I felt like I was worth a whole lot more money, you know. And so I went to the people I was working with, and I made a deal with them to get a good bit more money now that I had a degree, you know, and uh, finish a research project, but it would end at the end of September. I already made that deal. I knew the ending of that particular position. And so that gave me all summer to accept all of these lucrative positions that were going to be presented to me. I don't know whether we were too picky. Positions were offered. And we kept declining all of them. There's got to be a better one, you know, come along or something we like a whole lot better. Come the 1st of September, 
And old Jerry still didn't have a job. Wasn't going to have at the end of September anyway. And one day a friend just suggested, said, uh, have you ever thought about a particular agency? said, uh, why don't you go down and put in an application for them? I hadn't even thought about the place. Didn't know anything about them or anything else. But I said, I ought to do something. You know, we were expecting a child in two months. And my job was running out. So I didn't know what I was going to do. So I did. I left early that day from work. Still in work clothes. And been working outside all day long, sweaty and dirty and everything else. But I rushed by right before this agency closed, picked up an application, headed out the door. And the secretary said, wait, wait, wait just a minute. The boss is here. I want you to meet him. Well, I hadn't gone in prepared to meet the boss, naturally, but I did. I went in and visited with him for just a few minutes, maybe five minutes or less. And he said, why don't you bring that application back by tomorrow? Sure, I'll bring it back by tomorrow, you know. What did I have to lose? So I took it by the next morning and uh, thinking that at some point in time we'd set up an interview. And I mentioned that to the secretary. She said, you've already had your interview. I didn't know that I was interviewing during that time, but okay, that would be fine. Well, almost immediately, I guess that same day perhaps, <clears throat> the boss called me up and offered me a position in a part of the state where I was unfamiliar. I wasn't really anxious to go anyway, but it was a good position and certainly paid plenty enough, I thought. Uh, but he says... Uh, I want to know an answer by Monday. It's about five days away. So, pray some more. We uh, knew that God would provide a way, but we just didn't know when or how. And we were running out of time. And so we prayed about it quite a bit, uh, knowing that that one was fixing to play out. And we were expecting the first child. In fact, a friend of mine named one of his racehorses, pray some more. Unfortunately, the racehorse didn't do it well, so that wasn't an encouragement to me. But knowing our situation then, that's what we did. So we prayed about it and prayed about it and talked about it, and it seemed to us that God was leading us not to accept that position, not knowing what would happen if I didn't. I thought, I'm down to the last straw, God. <laughs> what do you really want us to do? Uh, putting our faith in, I went in and I met with a man on Monday morning, and I said, Oh, uh, we just I just really appreciate this offer so much. And it's a good position. But the answer is no. He said, that's all I wanted to know. Report to Tahoka in two weeks on October the 1st. We've created a position down there just for you. And we want you to go down there and accept that position. Now, God knew this all along. But he hadn't revealed it to us at all. And it was only by faith that we just turned that other position down. It was only 30 miles to Tahoka or Lynn County where we were going. And that was certainly going to be good because it was closer to the doctor and the hospital and everything. So everything's going to work out, Rosie. God, you provided this opportunity for us. I know you'll find us a place to live down there, too. Because, you see, we were living in a three-bedroom, two-bath, brick home in a real good part of town, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And He's got something even better for us in Tahoka. So we, full of faith, pray some more. We'll go down to Tahoka and we engage everybody we can find to help us find a place to live. And no places in Tahoka. No place whatsoever. And we were supposed that was a part of the agreement. We we're supposed to live in Tahoka. 
you know, there in Lynn County. Ah, no places at all. And finally, a stranger, hearing about the predicament, said, uh, there's a couple over here that built a new home several years ago, and they just left their old home vacant. It's been sitting there ever since they built a new home. That's the only thing we know of. Okay. So we found out where it was located, and we drove by. It's a little old dusty, dirty street uh, that was by. And weeds were about four foot high in the yard. The yard fence was falling down. The porch was sagging. One post was nearly gone. house needed painting very badly. It was a two-bedroom frame house, broken windows almost all the way around. The one-car garage had been blown one too many times, and it was leaning rather badly and all of that. I don't know that we even stopped, actually stopped. We just drove kind of slow, you know, and in our minds are, can you just imagine living in something like this? God, you're going to provide for us. We realize that. And then I guess we finally realized the answer. I have provided for you. What do you want? Here is a place. You guessed. We contacted the owners of that house and made them a deal that we would pay a very low rent and we would fix that house up. And they accepted. And so we moved in. We fixed that place up. We got the yard in shape and the yard fence and the porch and painted the house and fixed the garage and put in the windows and we did all this kind of thing, you know, and fixed that place up really nice, I thought. We brought our first child home to that little two-bedroom frame house, and we were very, very happy there. So much for us. Can you just imagine living in a place like that? It was a great place to live. In fact, we named our first uh, child, Tucson's mom, Dusty Lane. The little Dusty Lane that the house was on. How many times in our lives do we allow our spiritual lives to be like this house that we first found? That the weeds have taken over and our porch is sagging and the windows are broken and so on and so on. And when we do that, who would want to live there? Several years after we moved from Tohoka, we ran into some people that we knew and we asked them about this little house. And they said, it's never been vacant since you moved out. You see, it was something desirable, and people wanted to live there because it was desirable. Cutest little house in Tohoka, we thought. Do we make our lives the same way? Desirable for a place for God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit to want to live. A place for a king, a king that only stays if they're truly welcome. This Dusty Lane, our daughter, that I mentioned, when she was about five, we noticed that every time we turned around, she was asleep. And if she wasn't sleeping, she had severe headaches. And so we started trying to find out what the reason for this might be, and we went to two or three doctors, and they kept prescribing some things that would just kind of mask the symptoms, but that would continue and continue to be bad. And we finally went to a pediatrician in San Angelo, and he took one look in her eyes, 
And he said, I'm going to call in a specialist. She has brain tumor. They called in the specialist and he confirmed the findings. And we started arranging time to go down to the next hospital in San Antonio for an operation. I don't know how many hundred people were praying for Dusty during that time. And I remember one night, Judy was up there and still in the hospital at San Angelo with her. And my parents had come down to stay with our second daughter that we had by that time, just a baby. And I was on my way back to San Angelo, of course, uh, pray some more. (laughs) I was praying all the way up there. It came to me during that trip that the tumor had shrunk, disappeared, or was gone. And I kind of made a bargain with God. Excuse me. When I got to the hospital, I told Judy that I said, tell me how it went today. She she hadn't done any of these things. I said, it's gone. The tumor is gone. I couldn't convince any of the doctors, specialists, or anybody else. We went to San Antonio, the next hospital, and the test they had to perform, I believe, was a ventricular gram uh, that they had to perform to locate the specific place for the tumor before they did the operation. They did this test, and they came out about, I don't know, two or three hours. They were in there forever. They came out finally and said, uh, we can't find anything. They had never seen anything like it or heard of anything like it. They were positive that it was there. That's our walk of faith. You know, one of the first things potential buyers notice about a property usually is the outward appearance, the curb appeal, whatever you might want to talk about it, the personality of it. And I think they do the same with us, don't they? They look at us and evaluate us and and determine whether God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, whether they dwell in us or not, uh, and whether we manifest this to other people. The only young lady that we had an opportunity to work with quite a number of years ago, and is still a very dear friend of ours, and uh, Judy and I uh, studied with her, and she wanted to be baptized, and I was fortunate to be the one to baptize her. And we continued to study with her, and we were studying one night on elders. And just out of the blue, she says, who are the elders up there? She'd already been going there for, I don't know, three, four, five months. And you know, teachers, preachers never want to miss a teachable moment. So I said, well, who do you think they are? She named off about five or six people, and not one of them was an elder. In fact, she named off one or two people that weren't even members of the church. That's how it was manifested to her. I'm not picking on elders because of this. This same congregation had an elderly man of German descent, I believe that he was, a very large individual. He had a vehicle, but he walked everywhere. And he was a little yard man. He took care of yards for people. And uh, he came to the Lord and became active there in the congregation. And they thought that it would be good if he took part in the public worship. 
was just one major, major problem. He didn't own a suit or a tie and therefore could not take part in public worship. So they bought him a suit and a tie. Years earlier, I found out that the same congregation, that a young man was there that uh, evidently was pretty good at leading singing, and they wanted him to lead singing. Same problem. He didn't own a suit and a tie. They provided it for him. I'm not picking on elders, so don't get me wrong. (laughs) But what kind of message do you suppose his new converts obtained from that kind of an attitude? I've often wondered if Jesus attended that congregation, would he be asked to participate in the public worship part in any way? Or would he have to go get a suit and a tie? Like I said, I'm not picking on elders, but we do the same thing, don't we? We decide so many things in our lives that we try to bind on others and how they should be. David, a man after God's own heart, said one thing that he wanted, and James talked about this about a month or so ago, I believe, found in Psalms 27th chapter. He wanted to know that God was with him. That was the one thing he really wanted, to know that God was with him. He wanted to build a temple for God, you recall, and he thought that was a good thing. In fact, we read about that in First Kings 8th and 9th chapters, and, and God thought it was a good thing, too. He was touched by it, evidently. He didn't allow David to build it, as you know, but allowed David's son Solomon to build it. You know, it doesn't say so, but I've often kind of wondered in this a little bit, how that when they wanted kings, you know, God finally said, okay, you can have kings. After all, everybody else had kings. I wonder if David didn't have that a little bit in mind because they had pagan temples and his pagan places of worship, if he didn't want to kind of outdo them and have this also. I don't know. That's just me. But anyway, it was allowed that it would be built and the splendor of the temple exceeded anything else that the pagans had, of course. But God decided to tell him about it. And he revealed to Solomon and to the Israelites, you recall, that he would dwell there. They would be his people as long as they kept his statutes, his commandments, An indication, if you want to read the rest of it, that if they did not, it would only be another building. And his blessings would not be given to them. And they did not. You suppose there's a lesson in that somewhere for us? If we're going to have the dwelling place for God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, and we do not keep the statutes and commandments of God, will we only be another vacant, empty body walking around? Is our spiritual house a harmonious relationship exhibited to others? You know, the fruits of the Spirit sure don't include discouraging, put-down, sarcastic words, do they? I told you this was about me. Bill and Abadell Huffman were like second parents to us, very dear, very dear friends. And every once in a while, Curly, I 
I would lose my mind and ask, are there any requests, you know, for songs? Invariably, Bill would always ask for 595. I come to the garden alone. As he was up in his 80s at that time, it seems that the course particularly held a lot of significance for him. And he walks with me and he talks with me, tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Well, Bill and Abedell's lives, as they had determined many, many years ago, would be a dwelling place for God. And because of that, their family, and they have a fairly large family, to this day, all follow God and exhibit those same kinds of relationships with God because of how they work. In fact, one of their sons is an elder at Sunset where they still have the school of preaching there in Lubbock. As we leave here today, and it's not quite two hours, James, I hope that's okay, but as we leave the services today, what I've got to say, may we paraphrase back to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will want to be also. Would you like to stand?